You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. Uh, very, very excited about today's episode, uh, during which you're going to learn how to grow your business through collaboration rather than competition. And I'm joined by my guest today, uh, who is the founder of the Rising Tide Society. She is the head of community at HoneyBook, where she leads a community of over 70,000 creative entrepreneurs. She's the author of the forthcoming book, Built to Belong, Discovering the Power of Community Over Competition, which I have already pre-ordered. And I hope you do the same. You can check that out at nataliefrank.com. That's F-R-A-N-K-E dot com slash book. So Natalie Frank, F-R-A-N-K-E dot com slash book uh, to pre-order that or check out information about the book uh, and about our guest today, who is, as you probably guessed, based on the URL, Natalie Frank. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm very excited about this. And I guess what I want to ask you to do before we like get into the topic that we're going to be talking about is just spend a quick two minutes giving us a background on like where you came from, how'd you get to be so focused on this topic and doing what you're doing now? Absolutely. So my entry point into both building community and working in tech was a slightly unusual one. I was a wedding photographer and I actually built a small business myself for about eight years, photographing weddings after I graduated from Penn. And I loved it. I absolutely loved building a business. I had the time of my life kind of cracking the code to building something local building something that was deeply connected to my local community. And yet in the process of doing that and building that, that business from the ground up, realized just how lonely entrepreneurship can be and sort of discovered how um, actually truly isolating the experience can be. You know, you are stepping into a brand new arena. You are often carrying an immense amount of responsibility on your shoulders. And the only other people who truly know what you're going through, who can truly relate to the trials and tribulations of starting a small business or starting a company of any size are those who are also going through it. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, in, in these seasons that we're off, off in the hustling and trying to build, we look at others who are doing what we are doing as our competitors, not as collaborators. We see them as threat and not friend. We hold them at an arm's distance and try to keep our secrets close to the chest. And so I, I recognized this as my business was succeeding, you know, that ultimately for the long-term health of myself as a business owner and, and more largely, more broadly, the community itself, we had to change the way that we were doing business. We had to stop looking at each other first as competitors and instead look at each other first as community while still acknowledging that we're going to compete for business, but putting people first nonetheless and finding ways that we can actually come together to support each other, share knowledge, support, and education. And so that realization really happened from my own loneliness, from experiencing that pain of being, uh, you know, the business owner who was tired of longing for connection in the chaos and yearning for true relationships in my field with other folks, not just networking, not just I'm going to gain from you and what can I get out of you, but true relationships. Like what can I give to you? What can I actually do to help you? And understanding that it's an ecosystem where give and take should just be kind of a, an ongoing ebb and flow of how we navigate supporting one another. And that happened, you know, right sort of at the peak of, of building this photography business. And it led to the creation of the rising tide society. 
We'll hit the fast forward button on the rest of the story, but essentially we launched this community where we gathered small business owners together. We started in my hometown of Annapolis, Maryland, and rather rapidly this community spread and spread and spread. You know, we now have um, chapters in right around 400 different cities, although not meeting because of the pandemic in person, mm-hmm. meeting virtually online. Mm-hmm. And um, as you mentioned, just over 70,000 members. Um, we were acquired uh, very early on, actually, in our, our growth as a community by mm-hmm. an amazing startup called Honeybook, which is where I lead community today. Um, and I continue to support both the Rising Tide Society, which is what I co-founded, and community efforts on the Honeybook side, where we are building a platform to empower small business owners. So that same same group of people really supporting them both from the business side and also from the emotional, relational, and support side through uh, multiple community channels. Okay, well, that as I mean, it's really interesting and it's amazing that you've 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 gotten to become well, create and be and continue to be part of such a big, such a big effort that's moving this mission forward. But I guess just going back on why, like to get past people's hesitations about this topic, because I really want to understand or help people understand, because this is a topic, maybe I'll talk about this later, like why it's so near and dear to my heart, this particular topic that we're talking about here, but why why is it important to be part of a community with your competitors? I mean, you talked about loneliness before, but like practically speaking, I'm just devil's advocate. These people are my competitors. I'm going to be competing against them and anything they know about how I do business or about how I do things or how I solve issues could be a competitive advantage that they have over me. Uh, So like how and why is that a good idea? Yeah, no, first I want to start by saying that often whenever I broach this subject or even in pitching the book, one of the the biggest first kind of misinterpretations or criticism that I often receive is, so wait, you're telling me community over competition or collaboration over competition. Are you saying you don't believe uh, in in competition? Are you saying that there's no threat to one's business or oneself because of competition? And that's just not the case. I I believe and actually love competition. Um, I, I think there's power in having competitors. I think it drives us forward. It encourages us to innovate. It's that little spark of adrenaline in our brains when we know that someone else is in the arena with us. And in the book, I talk about the science of competition and actually what happens, um, you know, in our brains when we know that we're competing. And it's it's truly like a performance enhancer for the human mind, simply being in competition with another person. So I wanna first start for answer your question by saying, I am pro competition, but I am always gonna be about community first. And then we pivot into, okay, so what's the real benefit here of being in a community with your competitor? So as I sort of mentioned earlier on, you know, they are the only people who truly can understand what it is like to walk in your shoes in that season. And with that comes a unique opportunity, both through vulnerability and through actual knowledge, information sharing, education, to enable the collective to learn and to rise together. I'll use a very specific example. So in the small business space, if we look at, let's say a group of graphic designers, or we can look at a group of accountants, um, different types of financial professionals. They all have a deep understanding of their craft. Um, They all have a deep understanding of the challenges that their clients are going to face going through the process of client experience um, with that business. But they also are constantly learning and growing. I mean, the technology they're using today to market themselves is not the technology that existed yesterday. The way algorithms are changing and how they reach their audience or how they even gain referrals and opportunities, constantly changing and evolving. One of the biggest, I think, um, mistakes that we make when we think about this concept, community of competitors, is we think, 
well, you know, simply if I'm sharing this knowledge, if I'm releasing this information, if I'm being open about all of these learnings, what works for my marketing, my sales, my client retention, you know, any kind of component that goes into the business um, of, of running that graphic design company or being that financial expert or accountant, um, we worry that someone's going to run away and steal it. But the truth is that when we actually gather together and we share that knowledge and we share that advice, what we do is we ultimately improve the collective. We, we do, as we say with Rising Tide, we raise the tide. We increase the level of standards and expectations. We give everyone a, a more level playing field of understanding different ways that they can engage and grow. And in the process of doing that, we also acknowledge that the reason businesses succeed isn't because, and I, and I believe this, I truly, truly, truly believe this. The reason business, businesses succeed isn't always because they are, you know, the best out of their, their competition, but it's because they serve their customer better than anyone else. It's because they show up for their client better than anyone else. It's because they're solving a problem better than anyone else. And so what you see is when you have these communities of competitors that instead of spending their time looking to their left, looking to their right, analyzing what the competitor you know, next to them is doing, and instead look straight ahead at the business that they're building and the person that they're serving or the challenge that sits in front of them, they can take that, that base of understanding, that collective knowledge and education and support, and that's going to carry them through the hardships that lie ahead, but it's also going to set the stage for them to bring the one thing that will always set them apart that no competitor can steal because it is unique to the individual, and that is themselves their unique mind, their unique input, their unique creativity, their unique problem-solving capability. And so we see that in these communities. We see this, this sharing of knowledge and information, and yet it's not a homogenous cohort. You don't see everyone suddenly becoming like everyone else. You see quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. You see everyone embracing this knowledge as foundational truth. And then from that, diversifying themselves in more unique ways and presenting different opportunities for growth in their business by simply being themselves by simply creating a unique brand or creating a unique, unique offering or niching down into a specific problem or area um, rather than trying to do it all or rather than trying to be just like competitor A and competitor B, you know, ultimately leaning into their strength and acknowledging that there's power in that community to propel them forward in other ways. Um, and so we've seen that across the board and in, in the work that I do. I also want to add, I think mm -hmm. that there's something to be said for the ability of a community of competitors specifically to support you in ways that um, you might not even anticipate. And, and part of what, you know, this movement is about part of what um, I'm fighting for. And I write about in the book is that when we adopt a mindset of community over competition, what we're really doing is acknowledging that in the moments when we've stepped out of the arena, because again, I talk about what's the difference between healthy and unhealthy competition very often. And one of the key components of healthy competition, healthy competitive relationships is that that competition remains in the arena. That competition doesn't extend beyond it. What I mean by that, as we look at what happened with COVID, we look at the pandemic and the impact on, let's say the small business community or the restaurant community. And what we start to see is that, yes, you might have restaurant A and restaurant B that compete for business. Okay. And they are on the same street feeding the same neighborhood folks day in and day out. But when that pandemic shuttered their doors or forced them to change and to transform, what we actually witnessed was community over competition. When we stepped out of the arena of building a restaurant and we stepped into a space that was sort of 
more important than that for the time being. We saw them coming together to support one another, lobbying for expanding outdoor dining, you know, transforming, um, you know, the way that these regulations were going to impact their business so that they could run, so that they could stay safe for the community that wanted to come and, and dine there or increasing their takeout options and sharing, hey, here's what I'm trying. Here's what's working for us. Maybe this will work for you because mm -hmm. in the moment when it mattered most, it wasn't about, can I beat you? It was about, can we survive together? Can we get through this together? Because they love the ability to compete in the long run and they want to still be there competing in the long run. And in order to do that, when we hit a hard moment right. like COVID, it's more important that we stand as a community because ultimately that's what's going to enable us to keep competing down the line and having, you know, that amazing offering that we can serve the community as two separate businesses. And so we saw a lot of that in the last year. And that's kind of when it taught, when we get to the tactical, when we see like, how does this, how does rubber hit the road? When we say community over competition or a community of competitors, where's the benefit here? The benefit is survival and thriving in the most dire of circumstances. It's lobbying for what matters. And it's ensuring that we're encouraged to, to, you know, diversify our offerings, to niche down into specific opportunities, to be our best selves rather than striving for her homogeny in the market or constantly right. worrying about, you know, what other people are offering. Right. No, that, and, and that, that's very meaningful. I think to the people listening to this, to me, like you see, I called my podcast win-win, right? It's this yeah. idea of like, we could work with somebody we could both win. It doesn't have to be, I win, you lose that whole concept that you're talking about of a rising tide lifts all boats, right? That's the whole concept behind what you're, what you're saying is that, you know, is that this is, this is not a zero sum game, right? That by working together, you could actually increase the size of the pie and have more for everyone than you would have otherwise. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to live this out a little bit in my, in my own world by created a, a group. We have about 60 fractional integrators like outsourced COOs uh, that I created a group on Facebook where, I mean, LinkedIn, excuse me, where we're sharing ideas and questions and bringing up, hey, I ran across this problem. How would you handle it? And yeah, we're all competing because a lot of us are working fractional, I mean, remotely. So we could be competing against the same people regardless of where they live, right. um, you know, potentially. But we're also giving referrals to each other. It's like, oh, well, mm -hmm. I'm full. I can't handle this. And I want to connect with these people because maybe I can give referrals to them. And, and serve the people who reach out to me better rather than you know, say, you know, sorry, I can't help you. Um, and also trying to do that through this fractional leadership.io. Encourage everybody, of course, to go to the new website that I'm launching, fractionalleadership.io. Uh, you can subscribe to the email list there, get up to date and uh, news about fractional leadership there. But ultimately building that website to turn into ultimately a platform and a network of fractional leaders, some of which are not competing with you and some of which are going to be competing with you. Um, so in that, you know, as I build that community, I'm really interested in, in your work on this and, and want to ask you maybe two or three things that you would say, uh, like, okay, what, okay, let's say I, oh, great idea, Natalie, this sounds good. You know, I want to be more about collaboration rather than competition. What's two or three ways that I can uh, you know, what's just one or two practical things that I could do to, you know, to take advantage of that more or to actuate that idea more. Yeah. So I'm taking back to a moment when I was talking to David Spinks, who runs CMX, which is a massive community of professional um, community builders. Ultimately, it's like a community for community builders. And he asked me the question, the, essentially said, and this is what the starting point of getting tactical with how to do this. He asked, how do you even gather a group of competitors? How do you convince them to collaborate? How do you convince them to actually join forces? 
And, and the answer here is truthfully pretty simple. You know, our, our boundaries around who is competitor, who is threat, who is friend, um, they're arbitrary. The boundaries of how we view ourselves, and, and there's a lot of interesting social science around this, are arbitrary. Um, in my book, I write about belly buttons, and I tell a funny story about growing up as a kid, and I remember sitting on a park bench at recess next to one of my little girlfriends at the time, and she said to me, are you an innie or an outie? And I was like, what are you ta- What do you mean? What does that even mean? And she's like, oh, well, I have an outie belly button. Are you an innie or an outie? And I realized for the first time in my life that the groups could be set based on Right. Who's an innie and who's an outie? Oh. Sneeches. You got it. And I was like, oh, well, I'm a, I'm an innie. So I guess we're, oh, she's like, well, you're not in my group. You know, you're, you're an innie. I'm an outie. <laughs> and I, and I, I mentioned this in the book for a very important reason. And I wow. say, you know, we can, we can create these divides where we say I'm competitors. Uh, we're competitors and they're not competitors. And so, or, you know, like us versus them groupings, right. we can just as easily say we're a group of everyone with a belly button. If you have a belly button, you're in our community. See where I'm going with this? So these group boundaries are fairly arbitrary. Now they have significant right. impacts and I never want to, to under, you know, under, undervalue the, the incredible impact that these boundaries have. But the truth is um, the us versus them boundaries are often arbitrary. And so when it comes to getting tactical and like, how do you do this? You first have to dismantle um, those boundaries. You have to dismantle that thought that somehow, um, you know, there's that the folks in that community are going to be a threat in any way to anyone else. And that can look like a a number of things. You can have really intentional group rules that are all about fostering the win-win that are all about, you know, giving before you ask, um, you know, being, being, um, someone that is, you know, reciprocating kindness always, or, you know, going above and beyond to champion somebody else's success, which by the way, I I do want to add when you mentioned, you know, referrals, this is evidence that in a community of competitors, the success of one can benefit the whole. The success of your competitor can be to your benefit, not to, to your failure, right? Like the ability for someone else to win means they're going to have more business that they can't take. We have capacities um, and not everyone's interested in building huge teams. A lot of folks love um, doing it on their own and being the independent uh, business owner. And so they're going to have referrals to hand out. And that's a great example. So cultivating that space, that space that feels safe for folks to enter, that safe, that, that space that is very clear on guidelines, on rules, on what's expected. And then to take it a step further, I'd also encourage whenever you're, you're creating a community like that or working mm-hmm. to gather people that might compete um, to, to really be the example and set the example for how you want that community to run. We learn by modeling the behavior of others. We, we kind of take cues from what we see other people doing. And so when cultivating a community and, and seeking to grow engagement in a community and deepen relationships, oftentimes we can think of, you know, intentional and repeatable processes like prompts that we're asking on a weekly basis that we do this in, in rising tide. I've done this in any community that I've created to create patterns that people can become familiar with on Mondays. You know, we shout out a win that we had last week. This is an example in like one of our communities or, mm-hmm. you know, on Thursdays, if we're searching for business, um, we can actually post and say, Hey, I'm looking for somebody that does this, that, or the other, does anyone have recommendations? And so it creates this culture of sharing, of giving, of celebrating, or whatever that looks like for your specific community. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. both in setting guidelines and setting the example, um, you know, and I, I also think too, one thing I'll say for closing this out is never underestimate the power of one-to-one, even in settings that are one-to-many. So even as you create a group with 60 or 70 fractional leaders, and that's going to scale and continue to grow, um, I have no doubt very rapidly, 
never underestimate that power of the one-to-one of still pulling somebody aside to say something personal to them. Like, Hey, I see what you're doing. This is awesome. I just want to encourage you. Or if in person, it's, it's sort of the same idea because, you know, oftentimes I think where, where I've seen communities become really successful, it's that they have the ability to scale while still maintaining the intimacy of one-to-one relationships, or at least the feeling that you are seen, you are heard, and you are mm. valued in the space that you occupy in the space that you enter. Um, and you're not an anonymous name in a big Facebook group when someone doesn't notice that, that you're not engaging, right? Or you're not an anonymous person at a meetup where someone's not going to notice if you don't show up. There is so much power in just simply seeing people and acknowledging that you see them and creating that type of culture and environment in the communities that we build. Right. I hear that. I would love it if you could think of also any stories where maybe somebody you know of who came from more of a scarcity mindset mm. and transitioned or, or made some change. I would love to hear what happened. And this also makes me think while you, while you think about that, uh, makes me think of, uh, you know, this idea of the abundance mindset, I guess, because yeah. part of why that abundance mindset is so critical for this to work, you know, for, for anybody to make this transition to the attitude that you're talking about, the approach is that, it, you know, if I view that I'm part of like a shrinking pie, uh, then there's, there's literally not enough you know, I, I don't, I don't really believe that the size of the pie will increase because, you know, if I'm making, you know, buggy whips in 2021, where no one rides buggies anymore, then, you know, there's a really small pie that, you know, that, that's going to be available to me. Uh, and, you know, and, and competition is going to be a lot fiercer. It's going to be kind of hard to have that abundance mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas in all of these things, you know, graphic design, I mean, just you know, or fractional leadership, all these things are growing fields. And so the more, I guess what comes to me is that part of having that abundance mindset is recognizing that because this is a growing field or with a potential for growth, that the more we work together or the more we raise the reputation of the field and people have good experiences with the kind of work we do, that you have more people, you, you know, in the world will be using and hearing about, hey, this is a great thing, you know, to do. Now, the more people will be doing it. And again, you'll just be raising the size of the pie, having more people doing that. But I'd love to hear if you had people coming from the opposite attitude and where they experimented with a change. Look, I, I would say half of everyone in, in our community came with the opposite attitude. I think anyone who's been doing business um, for a long time, I mean, when you when you start and build a business, these are the old ways. The old ways are like, don't trust your competitors, right? Like, you know, almost like keep your enemies closer, like know what they're doing, analyze their moves, um, but never trust them and never um, reveal to them any secret that they could use against you. Like these are the old ways of business. So I, I, I don't have a specific story for you, but what I will say is something that I have seen to be true time and time again, is that often we are, when we talk about scarcity mindset, we are so afraid of either like shrinking, uh, shrinking market share, like actually seeing, you know, what we do, like you mentioned the buggy wheels, or, um, I often think about industries that are innovating rather quickly. And, and there's always a thought of like, oh, well, what if this industry is going to go away? What if this is transforming and shrinking? Or what if there's just not enough business and that idea of, of shrinking market share or, or a market cap, like this is it, that's all there is in this market. And yet we're living in an era where we're not really fighting for market share, we're fighting for wallet share. And what I mean by that is companies are creating new categories every single day. I have purchased items. I have hired 
contractors that I didn't even know were roles a year ago or products that I had never even heard right. of, but because they've created a new category, they're now transforming, you know, what I feel like I need or what I'm aware of in the market or what I, what I want to invest in, in my business. And this is, this goes right to what um, fractional leadership is unveiling. There's something happening. There's a transformation occurring. This is a new category and a new market that's being defined and it's going to transform the way that companies grow and scale and run. And so I think when we start to shift our mindset from there's not enough, um, you know, there's a limited cap on, on my industry or my market or where I can make a dent. And so if somebody else wins, I fail. Shifting that to, no, we're actually transforming this category. We're transforming. And, right. and this can be something that, could, you know, look at photography. Photography is a great example. It went from being something that was, you know, a family would get one portrait a lifetime. Today, we have iPhones in our pockets. We have devices at every corner. And yet the photography market and the photographers and educators that are in that space, and I can speak from experience, are scaling digital revenue and making millions of dollars selling digital presets that their predecessors couldn't have fathomed doing one portrait per, per wealthy family in a community a year. Now, you know, any 16 year old who's passionate about photography can create Lightroom presets, sell them on the internet and make passive income while still doing what they love, traveling out of their, their van in Colorado. Like this isn't an issue of, is the industry going away because everyone has a phone in their pocket. Right. You see where I'm going with this? Right. This is how are we adapting and innovating? And part of that power comes from being in a community of people that are encouraging those thoughts and challenging us to stretch our muscles and grow and expand our perceptions of the work that we do. And so, you know, it's not like, oh, this industry is going out of business because technology is constantly changing or, you know, even the buggy wheels, like there's a world where whoever's building the buggy wheels, could I have no doubt create right. some sort of Airbnb experience right. to teach people other people how to build buggy wheels for the Oregon Trail. Right. You know, reliving the Oregon Trail of the 90s uh, video game and like could truly make even more money mm -hmm. creating an extraordinary experience out of it. So that all of that to say, I think there are a lot of skeptics. I think a lot of us hold on to scarcity right. mindsets. I could go into some of my thoughts behind why, but the truth is I just think part of that is being human. We are risk averse. You know, we, we often are afraid um, of what we don't know or what we can't see or what, what we hear whispers about. And yet, um, you know, operating from a place of fear, I've just found this in my life is never a, a good idea. Um, right. I never make my best decisions there. And so when we can start to move towards abundance and start to see how, um, even as these changes unfold, even as these challenges, you know, might arise um, with community, we're never doing it alone, you know? Right. Andy, this is this is excellent. I'm so happy. I'm so happy I had you on. Your example about photography also. I had a call with somebody this morning who was like always doing a gazillion things on social media, and he shared with me. It's funny. He shared with me that he has he has a, a big session, a huge session with a photographer once a quarter, like every quarter to do like you know, to do like a gazillion pictures that he'll use in all of his social media that quarter. Like oh, it's like crazy. He's like paying this guy. Or, no, and that's know, a category. Is, like what? That's a category that didn't exist three right. years ago. Brand photographers for social media content creators. Like right. that's an actual very right. lucrative category. And I have friends that they photographed weddings, and now they're like, I'm I am loving and making a killing, just right. photographing content for folks that need to scale their social media platform and need like right. refreshed images of them doing their thing. So right. just gave another example, but yes, yeah. it's so true. It's really funny. Um, but yeah, I think this is great. I, I feel like with fractional leadership, like, I feel like I'm going to like link to this podcast episode, uh, like 
for all time. I don't know. I think this is a great introduction to this concept. And, um, and so again, focus here, growing through collaboration, not competition. Check out Natalie Frank, F-R-A-N-K-E.com slash book, or just the regular website. Uh, you definitely check her out, what she's up to. And uh, I think this is, is a huge value. So I really appreciate you, you coming and talking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. All right. Thank you very much. And we'll see everybody else on the other side. Bye. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.